penny for your thoughts. This podcast builds on the spirit and the values of those 19th century hard-working Welsh quarry workers and farmers whose one-penny contributions were critical to the foundation of Bangor University in 1884. They saw the value in making academic knowledge and research accessible to their community, and so do we at Bangor Business School. This podcast series brings together our cutting-edge knowledge, new theories, and our expert opinions and insight on important business matters to share with you, our podcast community. As we move into the summer months, employees may be thinking about taking annual leave and winding down a little. But these summer months might not bring all rays of sunshine. In a recent study, ambitious personnel examined the average percentage of yearly resignations for each month and identified that people tend to offer their resignation post-summer holidays, highlighting August as the month with the highest percentage of resignations. People leave their jobs for various reasons, but what happens when employees don't actually leave but just quit quietly? Joining our Penny for Your Thoughts podcast this month is Senior Lecturer in Human Resource Management at Bangor Business School, Dr Claire Deloriot, who talks to us about the quiet quitting phenomenon that is sweeping the internet. So Claire, you're, you're going to talk to us this morning about this, this term that we're seeing flying around on social media and our digital channels of quiet quitting. Yes. Um, so is this, is this a new concept or is this something we've seen before? Is this... What's going on? What is quiet quitting? Right, so quiet quitting is a new term. It's something that we definitely haven't only heard very recently. But um, I think it describes something that we've been talking about for quite a while in academic circles. Um, So the actual term quiet quitting itself has um, received a lot of interest and it stems from a TikTok post um, that was put together by um, an account user called Zaid Leppelin and it went viral and in his um, TikTok post he said that he himself had recently learned about the term quiet quitting so he sort of openly acknowledges that he didn't necessarily develop the term himself but he defines it as um, you're not outright quitting your job but you're quitting to the idea of going above and beyond. You're still performing your duties, but you're no longer subscribing to the hustle culture mentality. That work has to be your life. So um, quiet quitting isn't necessarily what it seems on the surface when you look at how it's defined. On the surface, it seems to be something that's quite negative, you know, quitting suggests to me that there has been some sort of breakdown of the employment contract. You know, you're, you're either quitting because your organisation has asked you to leave, or you're quitting because you're not happy, or you're quitting because you found something better that is better than what you're currently doing. And, and I guess, you know, our recent experience of going through the pandemic and changing our working practices has probably had a, an impact on, on bringing these issues to the surface and, and causing people to reframe their thinking on what does employment look like, what does the modern, modern workplace look like and how do we engage in a meaningful way and in a way that allows us to have a quality of life that, that, that needs to kind of go alongside our working contracts. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think there have been a number of new terms and uh, uh, labels that have come out from the pandemic. Um, the, the great resignation is one that you may have 
um, read about um, the Great Exodus, um, where there's a high number of employees, both in the UK, US and beyond, leaving their jobs because they're, they're seeking something more or seeking a different way of working that has largely come out of them reflecting and re-evaluating on what the work-life balance and what work and where they work means to them. And in, in fact, um, the, the quiet quitting has been largely attributed to China's lying flat movement. And I don't know if you've heard of this, Stefan, but it's, um, it's the idea, um, it's known as Tang Ping in Chinese, and it means essentially taking a break from relentless work um, and lying, lying flat sort of describes you know, somebody from China just lying flat and taking a rest at their desk rather than doing their work. Penny for your thoughts. Brought to you by Bangor Business School. It's a really timely and topical thing to be talking about, isn't it? You know, I think we, we probably can all reflect on our experience of going through the pandemic, having to juggle working from home, working with our children around us, working more flexible hours, extending into the weekend. We all learnt a lot about ourselves, about how to be good employers. And there's a danger now as the world comes back to some form of normal, some form of routine again, that we, re- that we forget these things that, we, that we've learned. We forget these things that we, that we enjoyed and benefited from. So how is this going to affect the research that you're involved in and perhaps how that will feed into, into your teaching so that the next generation um, can, can be better equipped for this changed world? I think um, even though the term quiet quitting is a relatively new one, we've been looking at, um, and academics and practitioners have been very interested in studying what is more broadly known as employee engagement. Um, And this isn't so recent. Um, There are uh, journals and um, uh, um, centres of expertise that have been set up to specifically explore Um, employee engagement and other aspects such as the psychological contract. William Kahn was um, the founding father, if you like, of employee engagement. And William Kahn argues that um, an engaged employee will give more to the organisation. Now, organisations are interested in this because they want their employees, they want to be able to maximise their return on investment from their employees. Um, Employees can be engaged um, physically in their organisation, they can be engaged intellectually or cognitively, and they can also have emotional engagement with their organisation. And um, the idea here, I guess, is reciprocity, Um, You know, the more an employee gives, the more an organisation gets, and also the more sense of um, fulfilment and um, uh, feelings of achievement an employee will get back. So an engaged employee will feel more satisfied in the workplace and the organisation will get more from that engaged employee. Now, Where quiet quitting fits in is where we we sort of turn to the literature that that fits within employee engagement called the burnout literature. And burnout is essentially the opposite of being engaged. So a burnt out employee 
will be disengaged, um, will um, have um, attributes such as um, emotional exhaustion, so they will be tired emotionally from being in the workplace. They might even demonstrate um, cynicism towards the organisation. So think of that employee in the team meeting that just seems to be consistently negative, finding issues with ideas that are suggested, and they're just constantly um, cynical about the ideas or the values of putting forward different opportunities. That word suggests alarm bells to me, particularly if that employee has previously been very positive, you know, been very good to be around and has been the ideas person. So if there's a change in behaviour, alarm bells would be going off to me and I would be thinking that this employee might be showing signs of burnout. So we have an employee that's cynical, we have an employee that's emotionally exhausted, um, and we have an employee that um, has diminished professional efficacy. And if you tick all three of those boxes, we would say that you are a burnt out employee. So you would be completely disengaged from your role. Now, um, you can be disengaged from your role, you can be disengaged from your line manager, and you can also be disengaged from your organisation. And you don't necessarily become disengaged with all three of these at once. So it's really interesting and it's really complex as well, you know, depending on what the circumstances are. It sounds like this is something we need to be really mindful of ourselves in terms of looking after our own well-being as we, as we engage but equally for our employers to be watching and monitoring their staff to ensure that, that well-being is at the, as the centre of how an organisation operates to give that psychological safety uh, for a member of staff to, to be able to reflect and be able to call out that burnout and, and, to, and to not feel as though that's the end of the line, I suppose. You know, we're seeing this term quiet quitting, hitting social channels, and, and it's obviously resonating with that audience. People are feeling this burnout that you described there. So what is the research suggesting that maybe employers could do or an employee might be able to do to, to start to address this? Are there, are there some best practice examples out there that people can, can take to the employee um, or, or for an employer to, to try and address some of these changes in the workplace? You're, you're, you're very right in your observation there, Stefan, and I think um, there's some recent research from Gallup that says globally in the first half of last year, 85% of employees said they were either not fully engaged or actively disengaged. 85%, that's a, that's a staggering statistic. Um, I read on my LinkedIn feed this morning that um, 48% of public health workers in the US were disengaged. 48, that's nearly 50% of your employed staff in the workforce, in the healthcare sector in the United States of America. I mean, these are staggering statistics, really. So, I, you know, there is definitely a problem. Um, it's a huge cost to society and to the economy. Absolutely. Um, a recent um, guesstimate is that Companies with engaged workforces are up to 22% more profitable than competitors with lower engagement numbers. 
and poor engagement companies have been estimated to cost around seven trillion dollars in lost productivity. So these, you know, these are staggering um, statistics, and so it is hugely important that organisations can get on top of addressing um, employee engagement in the workplace. And I think one of the complexities with it is that engagement is something that what we would call is socially constructed. So me feeling engaged in my work might be very a different set of combinations of different factors to you feeling engaged in your work and your job. It's not a one-size-fits-all answer. So organisations need to take a very person-centred approach. And I think human resources and um, professional bodies such as the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development, they are certainly, you know, working in the right direction. You know, they've changed the narrative on um, welfare, employee welfare in organisations to that of work-life balance. And I think that is a huge step in the right direction, looking at employees as people and not just people who are in work. There is more to an individual than them just being a human being in the workplace. You might be highly engaged coming to your job, working nine to five, and then going home to a loving family. And it might be that having that loving family is what keeps you motivated, what keeps you happy, and just ticking along in your nine to five without huge aspirations of promotion might keep you engaged. But for another person, um, you know, it might be being hugely successful in the workplace, staying late, working hard, driving forward that promotion, um, that might be what keeps them engaged. And I think that's why it is challenging and it is a big challenge for organisations because it is so variable depending on who you talk to. What does engagement mean to you? And it also fluctuates, you know. Um, You can be highly engaged and then three months down the line your engagement might dip and wane depending on what's going on in your life. So person-centred approach is hugely important. I do think that, um, well, we we should have moved away from annual work appraisals. They are very a a traditional way of appraising employees. And at least we, you know, organisations these days should at least be having biannual work and employee appraisals. These are huge missed opportunities for checking in on employees and seeing how engaged they are and seeing how happy they are in the workplace and whether organisations are not only getting as much as they can from them, but getting that psychological, that that emotional investment from them in the workplace and just finding out about about them. What are you doing outside of your workplace? one of the theories that we teach to students in our you know principles of management 1.1 is maslow's hierarchy of needs you know and at the top of my maslow's hierarchy of needs is that self-actualization it is the utopia that we try to reach in our in our daily lives in our working lives we we want to um uh, know about knowing and we want to reach 
um, a a place where we have safety, we have warmth, we have financial security, we feel loved, and we have enough wealth to pay for the things that we need and that we like. Um, and it is so it's important to find out on a one-to-one level how employees are achieving or working towards self-actualization. Penny for your thoughts. Brought to you by Bangor Business School. I think it's really interesting. You, you talk about that kind of self-actualization, self-fulfillment that, that we see in Maslow's model. And just to go back to that term we started with, of quiet quitting, and, and this idea that it's, it's not a new concept. It, you know, you could reframe it as working to contract, doing what you're employed to do, and this sense that we've accumulated these additional tasks that are leading to the burnout. I just think that it's an interesting point to reflect on how does someone achieve that feeling of self-actualization and, and feel that they're, that they're doing the best that they can when they're also battling this feeling of burnout and needing to just simply do what they're paid to do. It feels that there's possibly for some people a, 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 an imbalance there between wanting to do the best for their employer, wanting to feel that they're succeeding, but, but also being challenged by their own burnout to just say enough's enough. I think you've um, hit on a really important point there and another label that we could um, reframe and use for quiet quitting, which is working to rule, working to contract. And the unions will use this as part of their, um, uh, um, you know, as part of their collective bargaining um, when they are looking for, to not necessarily to take action that falls short of strike action. They will ask their members to work to contract. So that is just doing what they are contractually paid to do, which could be referred to as quiet quitting. Um, now there are. Um, in line with what you said as well, I think there are a couple of key things here that will kind of help towards that tension of how do you have a healthy work-life balance? How do you feel not guilty for working to contract if that's what you want to do? How do you um, manage the time and the um, sort of to, to, to build in the emotional space to do other things in your life um, and to give others your time outside of work if you also want to do your best in work and that might include working more hours and I think two huge important things here and they've been actually scientifically proven to matter the first one is values organizational values Organisational values has been identified as the number one most important driver for positive employee engagement. Now, I'm not talking about what the organisation says its values are. Okay, There's a big difference to what an organisation says its values are compared with what its actual values are. So let's have a look at this at the individual level. You might interview somebody for a job and they might say my values are I am kind, um, I'm an active listener and I'm a great public speaker. Okay so that when you get to know them you might find that they are impatient, <laughs> they are um, domineering and um, they are not actively listening. Okay so 
what they say they are is very different to who they actually are. It's the, the same thing in organisational terms. So it, the actual rather than the espoused values of an organisation are hugely important drivers for positive employee engagement. And this is where the hard work is, to change an organisation's values at the sort of epistemic roots, grassroots level is really difficult and it takes time because organisations have memory, organisations have stories, organisations have rituals, all of these different things that collectively contribute to what it is like to work here. Um, but that's, that is um, hugely important and as well, of course, in line with that is organisational culture. So I think from, from the discussion we, we've had here, Claire, it sounds as though this, this really has a deep impact on the employee, first and foremost. But there's, a, there's obviously a, a mark knock-on effect for the employer. If you have employees who are disengaged, who are feeling burnt out, it's inevitably going to have a knock-on effect. So I wonder what, what key takeaway might there be here for an employee who might be listening to this now and thinking this, this is resonating with me. What can that employee take away as, a, as an action point to start that discussion? And, and likewise, what could an employer do to start checking in with their staff and, and, and perhaps doing a bit of an organisational safety, healthy check to see where, where is the well-being of my, my staff face? I think in terms of an employee... Um, an employee needs to look at where, about, where, where are they at in terms of the engagement and disengagement scale, you know, and how long have they been feeling like this? So, you know, is, is feeling, are they feeling slightly disengaged? Is it a relatively new phenomenon? And just to sort of have a look at where they're at. Have, do they feel that they have reached that point of burnout? Then they need to start asking themselves why. Why do they think that they've got to this point? And have a look to see if they can identify what might have caused this. Because if we take a person-centred approach, it might not just be that they are disengaged because of work. It might be that they're feeling disengaged because they are um, a parent to four children and things are really tough at home at the minute and they are struggling managing the juggle between parenting and work and feeling that they're not doing a good enough job um, in either camp. If they feel that um, there is a work issue that could be addressed, and I would suggest that it, you know, that it's not cultural, that there's something that could be improved in terms of their role, in terms of where they work or how they work, then this is something that they can approach their line manager with. You know, if they require more flexible working to help, perhaps take some of the um, to cushion some of. Um, the juggles and the, the, the plates that they're trying to spin, then have a conversation with the line manager. Bring it up in their um, biannual performance review. Um, there are things that employees can't change. Um, deeply rooted culture. You know, are they working in an industry that's a cutthroat culture and you're expected to stay late and this is actually a root cause of their disengagement. So what can they change, what can't they change? And take it from there really and to have an honest reflection and conversation with themselves. Always bring in a mentor if they can. 
um, uh, you know, whether it's a paid for mentor or a, a mentor friend that they have and, and seek advice um, externally to the organisation, get that objective opinion as well. In terms of organisations, I would always start off with um, an employment engagement survey. Um, yes, these um, do have their limitations, but I think it's always good to have a quantitative assessment of where employee engagement is at in your organisation and make sure it is a true employment engagement survey. So I've come across various guises of employment engagement surveys that actually don't measure employee engagement. They measure something else, employee dissatisfaction, and it can you know, provide you with an incomplete or subjective picture um, or an unreliable picture. Um, then have a look, you know, are, we, are we doing well on engagement? Are we not doing well on engagement? Um, what is our staff retention like as well? So don't just look at employee engagement. Are we losing staff within six months, within a year? Do we have a lot of staff that stay with us? So, you know, have a look at different um, uh, uh, parts of the jigsaw puzzle to see where are you at. Now, if you suspect that there is a problem as a human resource manager, I would always then go to your values, go to your organisational culture and values. Who are we really? Find out what it is like. What is the employee's experience of working here, being managed here, being supported here? And find out where there are cracks within the values. Start one value at a time and it will take time to change the values, but it will be worth it and it is a long game. Brilliant. I think there's some really useful takeaways there, and it sounds as though it, it all starts with a very honest conversation. An honest conversation about the organisation, an honest conversation about ourselves, and, and, and to feel that they are the right conversations to have. I wonder, are there any tools that an organisation can turn to that have been designed for this, or any key reading that you might sign for somebody to, to help somebody start to design these processes and to go through this? Yeah, I would always refer to the Chartered Institute for Personnel and Development's website. They have fact sheets on employee engagement, um, and I think that's a really good starting point. Um, you can always as well um, uh, uh, look to um, source a specialist, employee engagement specialist, that is um, CIPD certified. I would always look for the CIPD certification. Um, so that you can start to actually um, assess employee engagement. At the individual level, I think mentors and, and champions are hugely underrated. There's some recent statistics that have actually highlighted how important mentors and champions are for female leadership success. So I think you know we need to be looking more and be being prepared to invest in personal mentors and champions to support us and guiding us through our careers. Fantastic. Thank you, Claire, for your time and, and for helping to unpack this term that we're, we're seeing come up time and time again in our social channels that's probably causing us all to reflect and question our own practices and where we are within our own work-life environment. So it's been really, really, really interesting to have your time and to hear this discussion. Thanks for listening to Penny for Your Thoughts, brought to you by Bangor Business School. Subscribe through your usual podcast channel and don't forget to like and share.